Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. Welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John. Yeah. What was it? What was my joke? I had it before. Oh, my I, God. <laughs> I'll tell you. No, I got it. it, it I got a little it. bit of behind the scenes for you all. <laughs> when Hank does the intro to the podcast, about 60% of the time, I can actually hear the moment when he realizes he has not prepared a dad joke for you. And I'd like to tell you, I'd like to tell you, I'd like to tell you what the moment is. The moment is, he says, hello and welcome to Dear Hanging John, a podcast where we review different, nope, that's my podcast, a podcast (laughs) where we answer your questions, provide dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. And it is in the moment before the and every week no, between Mars mm. and and is the moment where he's like, oh, right. A it's dad like a quarter joke. Of the time. It's like a quarter of the time. Anyway, John, why does the toilet paper roll downhill? Why? It always rolls downhill because it just wants to get to the bottom. Mm-hmm. I'm really glad you prepared that one in advance. <laughs> I I I want to simplify. I feel like I've been trying too hard. I want him to be more yeah. dad jokey. I was no, like, I know what you mean. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree that I agree that some of the setups lately have been convoluted. I think <laughs> that was an example of not trying quite hard enough. I think there's a there's a middle somewhere where mm-hmm. there's a joke to the joke. Do you? But want, it isn't. Do you want an alt? I have my, I have an alt this week. See, I'm double prepared. <laughs> I. I, I I definitely don't. What I want is for you to take that alt and have it ready next week when we do the <laughs> it's only, intro to the podcast. It's like 25% of the time that I forget. Oh, Overestimate it. All right. Well, I, I'm working very hard. And I appreciate it. I know that it is not easy to find these dad jokes on the internet, which like the internet, to the extent that the internet is, is a useful tool and a productive tool mm-hmm. for humans it is mostly a way of having GPS and a <laughs> repository of dad jokes. Those are the two primary Very good at that. productive functions of the internet. Whoa.
You all right there? My computer just made a loud noise. I don't like that noise. That's the noise that means you have a meeting in one hour. So let's get going, John. You want to answer some questions from our listeners? Let's answer some questions from our (laughs) listeners. Beginning with this one from Samantha, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I'm currently reading the New York Times bestseller, The Anthropocene, reviewed by critically acclaimed author John Green. Thank you, Samantha. That's a great first sentence to a question. I'm on the chapter about sunsets. And the question I have is, if you wanted to continuously see the sunset, how fast would you have to travel? Sunsets and salamanders, Samantha. Uh, it depends on where you are. That's true. Because if you're at the equator, yeah. I believe it's about a thousand miles an hour. Yes. But, but the- correct me if I'm wrong here, Hank, if you're at the North Pole and it's the right time of year, it's zero miles per hour. Yeah, you just stand there. Because basically what you're talking about here is you want to be moving as fast as the Earth is going. So you're like mm-hmm. counteracting the spin of the Earth mm-hmm. by walking or walking a thousand miles an hour in the opposite direction. Yeah. Uh, and uh, But like the Earth spins at different speeds at different places because the Earth has different circumferences at different places. So if you imagine the widest part of the circumference of the Earth is the equator, and then it's thinner as it goes to the top until functionally, mathematically, the Earth has zero circumference at the very tip. So if you're just standing there, you are just sort of spinning in place. Right. Math. That's, I mean, that's Earth math. But if you're at the North Pole, you couldn't continuously see the sunset, right? Because at some point, like the seasons will change and it'll start, it'll be the part of the year where it's yeah. dark all the time. So if you want to continuously see the sunset, I think your best bet is to go a thousand miles an hour at the equator for the rest of your life. Right. And then uh, by continuously, you mean until you die, I assume, Samantha. There's not like a, yeah. If, if you wanted to see the sunset for like six hours, that would be a whole lot easier. Yeah. But I love the idea of becoming a billionaire, you know, like working really hard to become a billionaire. <laughs> and then instead of having your crazy billionaire project that doesn't help anybody but you be the ones that have been picked so far, you pick as mm-hmm. your crazy yep. billionaire project that doesn't benefit anyone except for you. The project of spending the rest of your life continuously watching a sunset. So there are all these refueling planes that have to like dock with your plane as you're on this constant thousand mile an hour travel around the equator. They've got to like, you know, like cancel all the flights that are going to like come through yours because you're 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 going Mach 1.4 or whatever. Like you're in a hurry to keep to keep this sunset going. Yeah. And that's just that's how Samantha lives out the last 40 years of of her life. I was trying to figure out if there's like a space station place where you could do this, but there's not really sunsets if you're not on Earth. No. And in fact, your plane I think would have to be fairly low to sort of get the full sunset effect. Yeah, you're right. You would lose the vibe if you got if you got too high up. There is yeah. an orbital sunrise which is actually what I wrote the last episode of the Anthropocene reviewed about. If you want to listen to that episode of the podcast, an orbital sunrise happens every 90 minutes on the international space station. So every time the space station orbits earth, the sun rises or, you know, they experience the sun is rising from behind earth's crust, which is exceptionally Mm -hmm. beautiful. And the first artwork ever made in space was made by the cosmonaut Alexei Leonov. And it was, uh, it was a drawing of that experience of seeing an orbital sunrise, but I don't think it's, it doesn't look anything like a earth sunset. Yes. Different because you don't get the clouds. That's yeah. the best part. I mean, it's the atmosphere that makes a sunset and that makes so much else. <laughs> all of the, yeah. All the, oh man, that little, that just thin wisp of vapor makes everything possible. Uh, 
Speaking of which, John, I want to ask you a question about mm. mosquitoes. <laughs> Good. I hate them. <laughs> it's from Jen. It's from Jen and Maddox who asked, Dear Hank and John, we just got out of a car full of mosquitoes. Well, that sounds bad. Yeah, I don't like it. I wasn't too surprised when they were flying around and attacking us while we were parked. But when we got onto the highway and we were going like 70 miles an hour, they were still just casually flying around the car. What's going on? Those mosquitoes flying 70 miles an hour? Blood meals on wheels. Jen and Maddox. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm a little perplexed by what Jen thought a genomatics thought was going to happen like were the mosquitoes just going to get pushed pushed back against the back wall yeah of like the, the g-forces were going like, to be so high that they were just going to be like thrown into the trunk yeah no well so like I've, I've been trying to figure out how to explain how to like communicate effectively what's actually happening here which is that like and uh and i i haven't run up against a great way yet so john imagine it this way what if instead of being full of air, mm-hmm. you imagine the car as being full of jello? Okay. And your your car starts going, and the jello does like maybe push back a little bit into the back of the car, but it's jello. So mostly it 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 just pushes forward and then like, you know, it's maybe a little bit harder to get your car going because it was full of this massive uh delicious strawberry delight. But you're but but like you're traveling 70 miles an hour and the jello, the back wall of your car has pushed the jello forward along along with the car. That's what happened, except the jello isn't jello, it's air. Yeah, which is why if you'd rolled down the windows, the mosquitoes would have had a very different experience at 70 miles an hour. Because Yeah, it would have been it would have been a, a turbulent situation for them. Yeah. Because you would have at that point had them interacting with air that on yeah. some level is going 70 miles an hour. Now, because of the way that yes. like cars work now, you don't necessarily feel all of that inside the cabin. But like, yeah, when the what you need yeah. is to roll down the the windshield and the back windshield. Yes. And then, then you will <laughs> yes, not have any mosquitoes in your car. <laughs> that's how you solve the problem. You roll down the windshield and the back windshield. Yeah, you will not have um, any mosquitoes. You will have some mosquitoes in your teeth. Yeah. Uh, but none in the car. Yeah. Yeah, you basically need to be traveling in a dune buggy. This was your first <laughs> error, was to attempt to de-mosquitify yeah. your car instead of just selling the car covered in mosquitoes because it's over yeah. for that car and buying a dune buggy, which is the best way to get around town, an electric dune buggy. Everybody says that's the future. At 70 miles an hour. It's very safe. Hank, since we're answering a lot of questions about physics, which is certainly my area of expertise, just ask my high school physics teacher. Uh-oh. Um... I want to ask this question from Elliot, <laughs> who writes, and I'm I do worried. not know the answer to this question, Elliot. Spoiler alert. Elliot writes, Dear John and Hank, I am five. Well, first off, Elliot, very impressive. Just that. <laughs> Rarely do we yeah. get emails from five-year-olds that contain anything but gibberish. Yeah. I am five, and I have a question. Yeah. Why does the solar system spin? From Elliot. Great sign-off, Elliot. I love a Lovely. That's the most underrated sign-off. Yeah. From. <laughs> yeah. No. You don't see that much. It had a moment. Yeah. It's just like, I just wanted you to know. Well, because the emails generally start out like, to <laughs> so-and-so. From mm-hmm. Elliot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's in there already. 
Hank, yeah. why does the solar system spin? Yes. Well, you said you had an idea. Why don't you give me yours? Okay, Elliot. Here's my guess. <sighs> gravity. Uh, I mean, yeah. I did it, Elliot. Sure. It's gravity. It's um, essentially... That's, there's, there's two components. Oh, dang it. Gravity is one of them. Is the other one... Like, isn't there a large black hole at the center of the Milky Way galaxy mm -hmm. that the whole Milky Way is kind of rotating around. Yeah. And we're kind of rotating around it because it's a big gravitational center. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but why are we spinning, Elliot? Why are we, why are we rotating? Well, what, what would happen if we weren't? Uh, we would get sucked into that black hole. Yes. So what has Would happened to everything that's not spinning? It already got sucked into that black hole. There it is. Okay, Elliot. So we're spinning because we haven't yet been sucked into a gigantic <laughs> black hole. Not, no, not yet. Not at all. We won't. It won't happen. We we are spinning. Oh, thank God. So <laughs> it's great news for Elliot and for me. So so like so so there is so back to the solar system. It, analogously, the sun would be the black hole in our solar system. Instead, in, if you were thinking of the galaxy, then you've got that that sort of center of mass. The center of mass. So the sun is there, um, but it's not there as like a thing for us to spin around. We all, as a solar system, we we have a collect like every thing in the solar system has a shared center of mass, and that center of mass is inside of the sun. And it wiggles around a little bit as the planets go by, but mostly it's the exact center of the sun. Like over over a you know a significantly long period, if you average it out, it's the center of the sun. So um, yeah, I mean we're explaining this to a five year old Hank. So you, you don't have to get distracted by like whether or not it's like six inches to the left of the exact center of the sun. I did though, Elliot. <laughs> We're all spinning around the very center of we're, the sun. We're, yeah, and and the sun is spinning around the very center of the sun. But there were things in the solar system that were were had a direction, so they had momentum in a direction. And those things, uh, they did knock into each other, and that would change their their, their momentum. But uh, but a lot of that stuff just kept on going in that direction. But is is sort of being drawn constantly toward the sun, but is also headed in a direction. So there is a direction that it's going and a direction that it's being pulled. And when those things cancel out um, into a nice circle, um, then you have, or ellipse, then you have uh, something orbiting something else. That's how, basically, we are constantly falling into the sun, but we're going so fast that we miss it. Okay, I feel like we had Elliot and then we lost him. And when I say we had Elliot, I mean we had me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, John, I will explain it like like uh, you and Elliot are both five. Um, okay, uh, it's spinning because it's always been spinning. So there's nothing there to slow us down uh, in space, and so we keep on spinning because we were spinning when it started out, and we're still spinning even today. Unfortunately, Elliot, we weren't spinning when it started out. We were. But no, not at the very beginning. We th This planet was not orbiting a sun, and that sun was not part of a galaxy. Oh, sure, at the for very, For quite very a while, beginning. actually. Right. Yeah. And so, so, since the beginning of the solar system, it's just been a for spinning, a long time, bunch of spinny stuff. 
For a long time, we have been spinning around a center of gravity, which is near the center of the sun. (laughs) And for a long time, the galaxy has been spinning around a center of the galaxy, which is near the center of the galaxy. Well, it is the center of the galaxy. It's near the center of a supermassive black hole. It is near the center of a supermassive black hole. We we did it, sort of. <laughs> Elliot, please let us know how we did from Hank, <laughs> from Hank and John. I feel like we did great. We did much better with the jello in the car. That, that yeah, that, I felt like it made sense. Yeah. Can we answer a question that's not about science, please? Yes. This one's from Rosa who asks, Dear Hank and John, should Hagrid's three-headed dog Fluffy have had three names since he had three heads? Is it a he? I always thought Fluffy was a she for some reason. Is he three dogs or one dog? I only have one head, and that one's name is Rosa. Rosa, congratulations on in the vast geography of... All of human imagination finding the one hill that I am ready to die on. Oh, wow. All right. I'm excited about this because I don't have very strong opinions. Well, I guess I do. I'll be not I'm thinking about it, but you go first. Three heads. Uh Uh-huh. Three minds. Yeah. Three dogs. Yeah. Okay. Fluffy is not a dog. Fluffy is one-third of the three dogs that were protecting the Philosopher's Stone. Oh, so Hagrid only had one pet, and the other two dogs was not his pet. No, I'm saying that Hagrid, and I, I don't mean to disparage him, but Hagrid failed to acknowledge the fundamental reality that he mm. had three pet dogs that shared one set of legs. Yeah, and also shared one name. Or was there just one of the dogs named Fluffy? No. Is that what you're saying? You got to have you got to have three names if you have three oh, dogs. Oh, I, I agree with you. But in the in this like mess up that Hagrid did, did he name one yeah. of the dogs Fluffy? Or did he no, accidentally he wrongly imagined okay. his pet? He wrongly understood what was happening. I agree with you. John, what are the other dogs' names? I think Buffy and Ruffy. Buffy and Ruffy? And neither of them are named Manhole? Really? <laughs> stop Stop <laughs> trying to make pets named Manhole happen. It's not good. It's, it's not good. It's not as good as you think it is. It's not, it's not great. What about Fluffy and Flaffy and Floofy? Uh, I like Ruffy. I've always liked Ruffy as a dog name because ru- mm-hmm. they do make kind of, they rough, they rough a little yeah. bit. They're like, yeah. ruff, 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 ruff. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the noises, yeah. <sighs> you know, my, I mean, my all-time favorite dog name is Willie, is the name of my dog, because mm-hmm. as as the veterinarian said to me once, you call him Willie because he's Willie, Willie cute. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. And I was like, that is, that's a great name. Um but I'm also very fond of extremely dignified dog names, you mm-hmm. know? Like if you name your dog after like a Roman emperor. Yep. I could see that sometimes. Um, Flu- the thing about Fluffy is not only that was Fluffy three dogs, Fluffy was not Fluffy. Fluffy was a, a, a short-haired, shiny short-haired dog, at least in the movie. It's not Fluffy at all. It's very weird, Hagrid. Yeah, for sure. But to me, like that's a little pedantic. Whereas... <laughs> 
true. If you a do creature has three yeah. minds, uh-huh. it is three creatures. Like uh-huh. what makes us us is a mind. And what makes a dog a dog is its mind. I'm thinking fluffy pancake and scooter. Why didn't you mention why, why didn't you say pancake before? Pancake is a phenomenally good dog name. What about pancake waffle and fluffy? If you like that so much. No, I don't want to go too heavy on breakfast. And if we do go heavy on breakfast, I'd want to go a little more obscure, like French toast. Or or like omelet. Omelet is not bad. But you, uh, you always want to be a little more specific. You know? Ham and so cheese like, omelet. Uh, Right. Or or I was thinking a little more like vegetarian, like uh mm-hmm. like rampant spinach omelet. And you just Fluffy call them rampy. Pancake and rampant spinach omelet. <laughs> now I want this dog to have more heads. <laughs> Not enough heads. Uh I mm. well, I mean, I don't actually know how three headed dogs work, but I feel like you're right. I, I don't wanna I don't wanna read too much into this, Hank, but I think I think what makes a person a person is their mind, Agreed. not the four legs. And so <laughs> Fluffy has to be three dogs. Fluffy is three dogs. I'm there with you, John. Um do you have another question for me? Yes, this is from Jesse who writes, Dear John and Hank, at the start of COVID, one thing became clear to me, which is that I don't have any idea how soap works. I blindly trust it, and I'm a bit of a neat freak, but what the heck is soap? Hand sanitizer, alcohol, that makes a little bit of sense to me, but I'm still not even sure what that is. (laughs) Don't burst my sanitized bubble, but does soap work? Not messy, (laughs) Jesse. Yeah. Soap super works. Soap oh, is it's the best. Soap is so good. Soap is way it's, better than hand sanitizer even. It's yeah, great. It's, it's incredible. What what a discovery. I mean, yeah. Well, and it's been around for a long time, but but more than like the the, dis- the discovery, like the discovery of its own power. It's amazing how you can have a technology and not realize how powerful it is for a long, long time. Yeah, yeah, like we knew that soap made things better, but we didn't necessarily have the best understanding of why. But now that we've got a pretty good idea of it, it's incredible. It's so good. It's go. It's so good. Um, yeah, and so soap is the basic idea is that um, there are two. There, there are things that are soluble in water, and there are things that aren't. And soap is very good, and water is good at dissolving away the things that are soluble in water. But soap is good at helping water dissolve away the things that are not soluble in water. And it also like makes water like wetter. Like it it like water, you you have noticed this about water. Like you pour it into a cup and then it like gets that bubble on top. Water is really good at sticking to itself. And so that can actually make it because it's so busy sticking to itself, it can be worse at sticking to other things. So Soap actually gets in in between the water molecules a little bit, and it says, "Stop t- sticking to yourself so much. Let's stick to other stuff." And then, uh, and that makes it much m- like water, just much more effective at washing things away. You will notice this especially if you have something that's not water soluble on your hands, like butter or peanut butter, um, uh, like greasy greasy stuff. That just water will not do it. But the moment you put some soap on your hands, it's like, oh, there it went away. Um, but that is also true of lots of little things that are kind of hydrophobic or just or just water soluble. And like water gets better at being wet when it has a bunch of soap in it. And that in turn allows the water to wash away 
dirt and viruses and bacteria and yeah. other stuff that you don't want on your yeah. hands or yep. other parts of your body. Mm -hmm. Or Sharpie, which if you've if you've written Sharpie all over your yeah. face. Yeah, it speaks, to, in fact, to how effective soap is that it is able to yeah. help water remove Sharpie. <laughs> <laughs> because it is not easy to remove Sharpie no. without soap, I can tell you. <laughs> it's amazing. This, like after Project for Awesome, I will go, it'd be like, it's like three in the morning. I go inside and I just like soap the Sharpie off my face so that my wife doesn't have to wake up to like Hank covered yeah. in Sharpie. <laughs> yeah, that is scary. That would be a frightening thing to wake up to. Yeah. So in summary... Soap is an extremely effective technology. It is actually better at cleaning our hands and our bodies than even hand sanitizer is. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. I am very thankful for it. And we're not and we're not just saying that because our mom owns a goat soap making company. She's she doesn't anymore, actually. She's she got out of the goat soap making yeah. business. So now we are truly <laughs> disinterested observers who are no longer being funded by Big Soap. Which reminds me, John, that this podcast isn't brought to you by Big Soap. It's brought to you by Little Soap. <laughs> Little Soap. It's it's like it's like Big Soap, but like way more chill. Yeah. And they're really in favor of, of, of people doing it however they want to do the soap thing. Little Soap. That's the... That's the future. Uh, today's podcast is also, of course, brought to you by a Nissan Sentra full of Jello. A Nissan Sentra full of Jello, uh, mostly a thought experiment. I hope so. This podcast is also brought to you by Samantha's Sunset Chasing Space Plane. <laughs> the sunset never goes down when you are Samantha the billionaire in a space plane. God, when you're a billionaire, ask yourself this question. Yes. Does this disproportionately benefit me and people like me, or does it disproportionately benefit the people who are not like me? And then use that answer to guide your choices. I just I know that I know that very few of the people listening to our podcast are billionaires. I understand that we have never done well with the billionaire demographic, but I just ask yourself that question. Yeah. Just I just ask yourself that question. Today's podcast is, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to go on a rant. Today's podcast is also brought to you by uh, naming your pet's manhole. It's a terrible idea. Don't do it. <laughs> I should say, I feel like we should say that that's a reference to an old podcast episode. So people don't, Very people don't think that like you just invented the idea of naming your pet manhole. Um, they all know about manhole, John. Nobody, we have no new listeners. We do. We've. We don't, we don't we, grow. We do, we do. First off, we do. <laughs> Secondly, we have new listeners all the time. I'm constantly shocked by the number of new listeners we have. Uh, I, and thank you, new listeners, for listening. I appreciate you. Hank doesn't even acknowledge your existence. <laughs> Sorry. Um, John, what were we doing? Oh, this is a Project for Awesome message. It's from Caleb. It's from Kayla Forey to Sam and Regina Rodriguez. Thank you for accepting me when I came out to you. It means a lot to me to know that the people who have been by my side for so long and that I have always been happy to be there for are still going to stay by me as I begin my newest journey as I transition. You are the best found family a trans girl could ask for. My eternal love to you. Oh, that's lovely. That's very sweet, Kayla. Thanks for donating to the Project for Awesome. And yeah. thanks for being awesome. This episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by ZocDoc. Look. 
There are, I think it's fair to say, some imperfections in the American healthcare system, but there are ways that it actually has recently gotten easier. I don't compromise on a lot of things, but I do not love feeling like I can't find the right doctor for me. And I've gotten very lucky that I have found some good doctors for me. When it comes to your health, there shouldn't be compromise. Don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines slash their family group chat slash their crossword puzzles just because they're available right now or they happen to take your insurance. Instead, like you don't have to keep going back to a doctor who you don't like. You can check out ZocDoc, a place where you can find and book doctors who make you feel comfortable, who listen to you, who prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, and insurance type. So literally, no compromises. Because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you think. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Once you find the doc you want, you can book them immediately. No more phone calls and waiting on hold with a receptionist. We don't have time for this anymore. And these doctors all have verified reviews from actual real patients. Booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed, credible doctors and specialists. The typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between 24 and 72 hours. That's it. You can even sometimes score same-day appointments. Go to ZocDoc.com slash DearHank and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then you can book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash DearHank. ZocDoc.com slash DearHank. Every time I know it's coming, and I'm like, I'm going to have to say ZocDoc.com right now, aren't I? And then I do. I'm getting good at it, everybody. ZocDoc.com. This episode of Dear Hang is brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is there to help you maintain the kinds of habits that you want to have. For me, I need to have the right kind of food in the house or I will eat whatever. Oreo recently sent me some free fancy Oreos. They were weird. I ate all of them. I ate all of them in a week and it was a problem. I can't do that. I need to have healthy, good stuff in the house and Thrive Market can help you have healthy habits. It's a great go-to for all your grocery and household essentials and the convenience of getting everything online and then like just quickly shipped to the doorstep. It's a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with great ingredients and sourcing methods. They got Amy's, Banza, Burt's Bees, Trobani, Honest Kids, Kind, Mike's Hot Honey, Oatly, Olipop, Poppy, Salt, I've never heard of salt, but it's got two A's in it, so it has to be good. And as a Thrive Market member, you can save money on every single grocery order. On average, you can save over 30% every time. And they also have a deals page that changes every day. When you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a $60 free gift. I enjoyed my $60 free gift. I was surprised by it, and it was the kind of thing I wouldn't have bought. And then now I'm like on the ghee train. They gave me free ghee. And I was like, I don't know what ghee is. But then I was like, oh, this is great. It's like butter, but it's different and more spreadable. <laughs> Go to thrivemarket.com slash dearhank for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash dearhank, thrivemarket.com slash dearhank. Hank, let's answer a couple more questions before we get to the all-important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon, beginning with this question from Martha, who writes, Dear John and Hank, why do speedometers on most cars go so far past even like the Texas speed limits? What are the chances <laughs> that I'll be in a situation where I will have to drive 180 <laughs> miles per hour? <sighs> Not an old lady, Martha. 
Not, I don't uh, associate the name Martha with old ladies, I have to say. I know a lot of uh, young Marthas. I know some young Marthas, too. I feel like Martha, yeah. maybe it's making a comeback. Uh, so, so here's the thing I didn't know mm-hmm. that I found out while researching this question. A lot of car manufacturers use the same speedometer no matter what car it gets put into. So mm-hmm. they have these like fancier, faster luxury cars that are like part of the whole thing is you're not going to drive it 180 miles an hour, but you could. Mm-hmm. They will put that. They they have that in there just in case, I guess, if you're going down a hill and you really don't care about your own life or the rules that you could do that. Uh, and then they put that also in the other cars that are cheaper and definitely not capable of going over 110. Hmm. But do they do it so that you feel like your car is powerful and capable of great things, even though you would never call upon it? Like, it it must be some kind of psychological trick, right? I, yeah, I don't know. Like, like, I feel like with a, with a fancier car, you'd like want to feel like it. And also there's sort of a, like, I feel like if I was driving at like 80 miles an hour and my speedometer was almost near the end yeah. Of where it could go, like that might stress me out a little bit. Like I kind of want it to be up mm. near the top when I'm going yeah. at max speed, rather than right. all the way down to the bottom. And I'm talking about yeah. like, the radial speedometers now. A lot of people, and I have a car like this that just has like the number uh, on the dashboard. Rather, oh, Mr. Fancy Pants over here with his numbers on the dashboard. <laughs> I. <laughs> a, it was a Honda Civic. Thank you very much. I have only driven one car that I think could reasonably go 180 miles an hour. And it was when I was driving the pace car for the uh, Indianapolis Grand Prix. Okay. I was really confused about where that was going. And I mean, even driving in a straight line on a race car track where Mm -hmm. people regularly drive 240 miles an hour, I was not able, like an empty, totally chill, utterly perfect condition situation. I could not bring my body. The car car was willing. The car was able, but I could not bring myself to go more than 100 miles an hour. Like it was terrifying to be going that fast. I, 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 it was <laughs> so scary. Uh, yeah, I guess and I was, going, I was going that fast on like this long straightaway. And then right behind me, Simon Paginot. Yeah. It's just, he was tailgating me within inches, within inches of me. <laughs> and I was like, we are going way too fast. You are not, this is a, you do not have a two second following distance, Simone Paginot. Like this is much much too close this is so i understand letting people throw out the first pitch at a baseball game but having watched people throw out first pitches at a baseball game why would you give them a car i know why would you let them drive a pace car (laughs) and then i i was like i was telling myself before this all started i was like okay well look they obviously it's not a big deal because they're letting me do it so any dummy can do this and i'm gonna be just fine and then I read that once a pace car driver at the Indianapolis 500 like ran into a photographer's stand and like oh. seriously harmed a lot of people. And then I was like, oh, no. Oh, God, like I, I could mess this up. 
and the consequences could be extreme. Fast forward one week, and that's part of the reason I didn't go very fast, much to the annoyance of Simone Pagino, who apparently was like on the radio being like, what's wrong with this space car driver? And the answer (laughs) is that I'm a cautious driver. I'm a defensive driver. I believe in a two-second following distance, okay? Like I'm not – there's a reason that I didn't choose race car driver as my career. And flash forward to the next week, there's a race in Detroit, and they have another like, you know – 17th tier celebrity pace car driver yeah. and he freaking crashes. Uh. He freaking spins the car and crashes into the b- barriers and then it's on like the sports yeah. center not top 10. Everybody, everybody's and talking everybody's, about it. Oh, oh my God. And all over Twitter. Not and I was just worth like, it. I dodged a bullet. Not worth it, man. So I mean, long you, story you, short, do a number of things that I would am surprised by, like for example, that time that you were in a like a automotive race with Maggie Steve Otter. That was that was just a weird phase of my life, man. It was very strange. I was so yeah. confused. I know. I did a I, I I did dirt track racing with her. Although to be fair, I wouldn't call it racing. I would call it losing. I was yeah not in anywhere near the same capacity that the brilliant novelist and semi-professional race car driver Maggie Steve Otter was bringing to that event. Like she brought talent and skill and pluck and a good car. And I brought nothing. (laughs) You, you brought the, the guy said, when if you get in a crash, just stay in the car. And then you got in the crash and everybody was like, why are you staying in the car? And you're like, that's what they told me to do. And they're like, not if the car is on fire. Oh, God, I don't I, I do, really don't like reliving that memory. Um, I did Sorry. get a trophy out of it, though. There's a lot that oh, I'll good. do for a trophy in this world. I don't know Apparently. about you, Hank, but I love a trophy. All right, John, do you want to go behind the scenes about what it's like to be a YouTuber with this question from Evan? Great. Dear Hank and John, Evan asks, on a recent Vlogbrothers video, How We Fixed the Climate, the thumbnail changed like five times. Mm. First, it was a screen grab of Hank. Then it was a little graphic that sort of looked like Earth. And then there was another that I can't remember. And now it's a picture of the globe and it says, there is good news. Why did it change so much? Who changes it? Why do people change their thumbnails? Do they get more attention and clicks that way? Not a YouTuber, Evan. Uh, Yeah, that was me. It was me. I worked really hard on that video and I wanted a lot of people to watch it. So I was trying to find a thumbnail that more people would click on. Yeah. And it worked, by the way. Thumbnails are incredibly, ridiculously important on YouTube. And the way that Hank and I choose almost all of our thumbnails is ever since 2007 like back back when we started on YouTube in 2007 the thumbnail was the center frame of the video yeah. the exact yeah. middle frame mm-hmm. and so so you could thumbnail cheat like some people would put up you know something salacious or really visually interesting on that middle yep. uh, frame as, so mm-hmm. as to like try to get more clicks but most of the time you know Hank and I it would just be whatever image of us happened to be the middle image as we were talking in the video and mm-hmm. we basically still do that. We we yep. generally don't upload custom thumbnails, even though we know that if we did, it could it would like it increase views because uh, you can increase views and decrease the quality of the experience for the community, and that's something that we don't want to do. 
Because a lot of times, you know, if, if it's people who are sort of casual viewers or people who maybe come from other corners of YouTube, they may not come in with the best uh, intentions and it, it can just be kind of a bummer. So we generally just still use whatever thumbnail is algorithmically generated and don't uh, mm -hmm. come up with custom thumbnails. But yep. on videos that we want people to view, <laughs> that we do want to, the public to look at, like Hank's video about climate change and you know what what actionable things need to actually happen in order for the situation to get better. Hank was trying to find a good thumbnail so that people would watch the video. And by the way, it totally worked. Half a million people have watched the video. Yeah, yeah. And also it's 16 minutes long, which helps because YouTube really likes it when videos are longer. Uh, so people yep. are spending more time on the website. Um, but yeah, there is, I think, I mean, I know Veritasium put a great, did a great video on why this happens. And, you know, we don't do it a lot on Vlogbrothers, but we do it on SciShow. And oh, yeah, uh, Crash Course. And, we do it to an extent sometimes. Yeah. And like, like lots of YouTube, and it's not great. Like, it's not a great user experience because it's like, did I see that video already? I feel like I did, but it doesn't look the same. So you, and some people think that people are trying to trick people into clicking on it twice. So like, wa like watching it a second time, that is not what's happening. In no. fact, when that happens, it's actually bad for the video because it means that you click on the video and then don't watch it, which uh, YouTube kind of marks as a negative, obviously. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, but it is because the click-through rate of a thumbnail matters a great deal. So the number of people who, who are exposed to it and then go on to click on it um, is sort of the thing that videos live and die by on the platform. I will confess that it is such a big deal that sometimes when a creator who I really like has uploaded a video that I don't particularly want to see, I will nonetheless mm -hmm. click on it and I will watch the seven minute video only to tell the algorithm, even though I didn't want to see this one, I do actually want to see the next one. <laughs> yeah. And, and other people also should see this. Maybe not me, but other people. Right. Yeah, yeah, it it is, especially now, you know, a, a huge percentage, like Hank and I are outliers on, on YouTube in a, in a lot of ways. And we're especially outliers in like the number of our views or the percentage of our views that come from subscriptions yeah. and subscribers. But these days on the platform, like subscribers matter so much less and the you know, how many people the video is exposed to matters so much more that the mm -hmm. click-through rate essentially decides the fate of the video. It does. Absolutely. It's the click-through rate and how long people watch. That's basically all it is. Yeah. And so we have a very high click-through rate with our people mm -hmm. and an extremely Which low click-through rate with yeah. uh, people who are casual YouTube viewers. And I, I, I think that's okay most of the time. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why, like, honestly, it works better for us to just have it be our faces. So people are like, oh, there's the new Vlogbrothers video. Yeah. And if we do a thumbnail that doesn't have our face in it, people are like, mm, I don't know if that's Hank and John to... or that's something yeah. just weird. Yeah. They, yeah. They, they'd have to like notice that it's a Vlogbrothers video. 
So the main the main takeaway there is we are so grateful to have an audience that's oh God, so stuck grateful. with us. So and lucky. we uh, yeah, and also we want to continue to try and make that uh, worthwhile for both sides of the equation. So we do try to make good videos. Yeah, I mean we are so so fortunate to still be able to do this after fifteen years, and yeah. that Nerdfighteria continues to be such a productive, interesting, cool community. It is the great luck of our lives. And I honestly don't think it has that much to do with us. Yeah. So we're really fortunate. Agreed. John, do you have some news from AFC Wimbledon? I do. I do. AFC Wimbledon lost a football game. It's not my favorite. I have to Mm -hmm. say, I'm Mm -hmm. so deeply in love with this team that when we lose a football game, I'm mostly just confused. How can this have happened to us, the greatest <laughs> football club in the world? Uh, but more than losing a football game, the biggest surprise was that we didn't score any goals. We went down 1-0, and I was like, well, that's good because... That's how, that's how he always goes. That's how we win. Um, uh-huh. first, f- first, we start losing, and then we come back to win. But it was a game against Plymouth Argyle, the same team that we played in the playoff final at Wembley, mm. um, the game, They're the year good. that we, we became a third-tier English soccer team. And that was very exciting. Um, And honestly, if we lose to Plymouth Argyle every time we play them for the rest of all time, I don't care because we won the time that mattered the most. Yeah. So it was a little bit of a disappointment. I mean, honestly, like it was a really poorly refereed game. Rosiana was there and it was just it was just a weird game. Like we we looked pretty good, but we just never were able to put it together in the final third or get mm. uh, really good shooting opportunities. Ayuba Sal had one one-on-one opportunity with the goalkeeper and just cut, couldn't quite get around him. And so, yeah, we lost a football game. But I will say this, after eight games, we're in seventh place, which is pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, so, it's weird that the uh, the the franchise currently applying its trade in Milton Keynes, did I yeah, say that right? You did. It's in third I know. It is weird. It is weird. It's uncomfortable. I would like to see them closer to mm, 22nd or 23rd, but (laughs) the season is long. We play them in October. Let's see how things go. Okay. What's the news from Mars? In Mars news, John, I've got some uh, new information about collapsing ancient supervolcanoes. So there are these craters on Mars that for a long time we thought were just impact sites, but it, it uh, there's been debate about whether they are impactors or whether they are uh, volcanic calderas. So like the collapsed area that falls down after a bunch of mm. stuff explodes out of a volcano. Mm-hmm. A team of American geologists were studying uh, the craters in Arabia Terra, which is a region, and those... Uh, and uh, and they wanted to figure this out, so they created a mathematical model of the pattern of volcanic ash that you would expect to de- to be dispersed as those volcanoes erupted. And then they studied images of the surface of Mars to see if they could see ash in the places that the model predicted they would be. And indeed, they found ash there. Oh, so they were able to determine that these craters are indeed. Um, old volcanoes, so about 500 million to 4 billion year old volcanoes. And they probably released a bunch of water vapor and carbon dioxide and sulfur dioxide when they erupted, and they would have had a really big impact on the climate, possibly making the atmosphere thicker or blocking up the sun. 
um, during this sort of like tumultuous early history of of Mars when it was a probably wet, wetter, warmer place than it is now. And it would have had a thicker atmosphere as a result of those volcanic eruptions the same way that like our atmosphere yes. has gotten thicker during periods of intense volcanic activity. Yeah. Yeah. And, the you know, there's like there's sort of like a double if like a weird double effect one right upon the eruption. Usually there's a period of like much less like like colder period where the sun can't reach the surface. Yeah, the sun's not getting then, through. Yeah. And then afterward you have, you know, all this water vapor and carbon dioxide in the atmosphere that's going to trap the heat. And so it gets warmer. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Mars. Just finding out more things about our good old planet friend. It's a good it's a good planet i mean it's my second favorite one john how fast do indy cars go uh in the indy 500 they go up to 240 miles an hour that's too fast i agree and they're also you know like a lot of times three to six inches away from each other it's not just so it's not just how fast they're going it's also how how close they are oh man that's yeah that's intense that's intense that, that makes me uncomfy <laughs> Well, I drove in the two-seater. Well, I didn't drive. I rode. I rode in the two-seater, which is like an Indy car that has been refashioned to have a back sure. seat. And mm-hmm. the Indy car driver, Sarah Fisher, drove me around the track at 180 miles an hour, which is significantly slower. Mm-hmm. And I was in the back there. Thankfully, she couldn't hear me because, you know, the... The car was traveling 180 miles an hour. I was behind her. So my sound waves were were getting uh, flown backwards pretty quickly. But I mean, pretty much from the first turn, I was like, stop, stop the car. <laughs> Slow stop down. The, st- stop the vehicle. And then my best friend, Chris, did it too. And he was like, he got out and he was like, the whole time, I just couldn't stop thinking, I'm such a big person. They don't know how big I am. It's going to, I'm going to be the reason that like the car yeah. like wiggles out in the back end and then just mm-hmm. slams into the wall. And I was thinking that too. I was like, there is no way a car going this fast can stay on the track. And that was 60 miles an hour slower than they usually go. <laughs> and like, by the way, they're not like, they're not riding in the back screaming, stop the car. Like they're driving yeah. it. <laughs> like they're making choices. <laughs> oh God. Well, oh, it's I'm, a special, uh, special enjoy, talent. Enjoy your hobby. I will enjoy mine. Um, yeah. And that goes for everybody. Enjoy your hobbies. Um, we're not here to we're not here to yuck on your yums. We're here to no. cele- celebrate yums, whether they be Martian or, or Wimbledonian. That's right. I'm just I'm just much more comfortable podcasting rather than uh, speed driving. Yeah, me too. Is that what they call it? I think speed that driving? is. Yeah, that's what. What do you do for a living? I'm a speed driver. That's what speed Lewis driver. Hamilton yeah. says whenever he's interviewed. Max Verstappen is always like, "I'm a I'm a speed driver." Did you you say his name is Max Verstappen? Yeah. If his name is Verstappen, he should stop. Oh, you've not. He the... should be slow. Oh God, man! If you if you if you like that pun, you'd love F1 Twitter. <laughs> I like I like that you could be like maximum first stopping. <laughs> what is his name? What did you say? Max Verstappen. Okay, it's Max Verstappen. <laughs> <laughs> and all I hear is Max Verstappen, but I guess yeah, that's what you're I, saying. That's pretty close to his name. Okay, yeah. <laughs> John, thank you for making a podcast with me. 
You can send us questions at hankandjohn at gmail.com, where the the entire uh, reason this podcast exists is, and it is your input in the form of great questions. And uh, we're off to record our Patreon-only podcast this week in stuff, which will be a little short this week because I need to go to a meeting in four minutes. This podcast is edited by Joseph Tuna Medish. It's produced by Rosiana Hals-Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. Our communications coordinator is Julia Bloom. Our editorial assistant is Deboki Chakravarty. The music you're hearing now and at the beginning of the podcast is by The Great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't forget, forget to be awesome. awesome.